0: You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. What is it like to work with victims of child abuse, to be a defender of the innocence, and how do you help those children begin to heal? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Walter Lambert, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine and Medical Director of the Child Protective Services Team. Dr. Lambert took on that work since July 1988. It's the only position he's ever held at the University of Miami, and he calls it his dream job. But it's a task that very few are called to do. He's tasked with safeguarding children in Miami-Dade County and the Florida Keys, and he recently received the Florida Bar Association's Medal of Honor Award, the Florida legal profession's highest honor. Today we're discussing child abuse, treatment, and healing, And thanks for being with us today, Dr. Lambert.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: You know, you said yourself that you have a job that very few would want, but how did you get into this area of pediatrics?
1: Actually, when I graduated from college, I was a social worker. I did not go to school as a social worker. Rather, I was bilingual and moved to New York and found a job in social work in child welfare. Later, when I went to medical school and then decided to become a pediatrician, I became aware that in Florida there were these things called child protection teams, and I thought, oh, that's the kind of thing that I would like to do. And it just sort of, for me, when I was finishing my residency, they were looking for somebody at the child protection team at the University of Miami. I had the other experience, and it just happened.
0: Tell us about a day in your world. What, what is it like?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is not every day is typical because clearly every day changes day to day. The first task I have every morning is looking at all the abuse reports that were accepted by the abuse hotline for my area, for Miami-Dade and the Florida Keys. I read every single one of them, and based on the allegation alone, have the ability to mandate that these children be referred to the child protection team. The rest of the day is mostly spent seeing patients. Children and their families who have been called into the hotline are seen by the team. It is a multidisciplinary approach in which social workers do interviews. When it's a medical case, it's not only doing the examination, but the documentation of the injuries and opining as to whether it is maltreatment or is not. And then most importantly, sitting together with the team and deciding, okay, it is abuse or it's not abuse, but what recommendations can we make to the Department of Children and Families for services for this family, including sometimes removal of the child, including sometimes not only removal of the child, but advocating that their parents have their parental rights terminated because this maltreatment is so egregious. Thankfully, that is not a common phenomenon.
0: Now, as health care providers, we know there's different types of abuse. There's physical abuse. Neglect has been recognized. There's also sexual abuse. Yes. And it seems in the news, I don't know if it's a function of the media or a function of things coming to light or reality, but it seems there's more and more cases about sexual abuse of children, sometimes very small, very young children. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, I think that there is an issue that finally we have recognized that sexual abuse is a frequent occurrence in the United States uh, frequent is probably not the right word, but it that does occur. It doesn't only occur, you know, stereotypes in the Appalachians or in you know rural America. That it occurs in in all places and among all peoples, among religious people, not religious people. So I think that's perhaps one of the uh, first places. the The other thing that has occurred is we've finally come to understand that child sex abuse is not the same thing as a sexual assault. Or rape. When we were using models that looked at rape and then we looked at children, we were surprised because very few children, even those who report having been frankly penetrated, repeatedly, when they were examined, their exams were normal.
0: Normal. How can that be?
1: Because the by the time that it is reported, the tissue has healed. The other issue is that child sex abuse is not necessarily violent. It may be coercive, but it's not violent. So some of the injuries that we would expect to see, for instance, in a rape, are not present in children. So if we don't see children, for a large portion of child sexual abuse is reported in adulthood. And even that which is reported in childhood, a significant percentage of it is reported months to years after the fact. If we look not, not really the same subject, sort of the same subject, but what happened in the Catholic Church, we're seeing that people are reporting now that they're in their 20s and 30s. So obviously, it's a different phenomenon. The other important thing to understand about child sexual abuse is that molestations and touching episodes are common. Almost by definition, those may not leave permanent physical injuries, but, but are equally as bad as if that sexual play between or sexual activity between that adult and child involved penetration. So one of the principal things that's happened in the last 20 years is our better understanding of what child sexual abuse is, that it is the fact that it's chronic, that the the person who perpetrates it is not only somebody known to the child but well-known to the child, many times familial or in that close circle around the child that occurs over a long period of time, And it is not so much a given act, but rather the effect that it has on that child as an adult that my father did this to me.
0: Can children that are sexually abused recover emotionally?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that one of the issues, a couple of things, when children report things, when children say things, we should listen to them. We should not dismiss what they're saying, because if they're telling us, they're telling us for a reason and the, the very act of telling can be therapeutic, and now there's more and more knowledge of what is effective therapy for children and adults who are victims of child sex abuse.
0: I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Walter Lambert, medical director of the Child Protection Team, and we're discussing child abuse, treatment, and healing. Tell us some more about your team, Dr. Lambert.
1: Well, perhaps one of the more frustrating things about our team is that we spend so much time on the identification and what we think are the appropriate recommendations that we don't have time to work on prevention. And obviously, like many things in pediatrics, if we can prevent, that's better than identifying and intervening. And we're beginning to know more and more about prevention. For instance, one of the things that 10 or 15 years ago a lot of people talked about was good touch, bad touch. And stranger danger and really for child sexual abuse prevention those are not very effective because the majority of children who are sexually abused are abused by somebody they know not strangers and a child does not perceive good t- that's good touch bad touches us as an adult perceiving what we think that children if I was a perpetrator and was touching the genitalia of my child boy or girl that can be pleasurable to a child so good touch and bad touch so if we're going to work with prevention, let me just use some concepts for school-age children. One is begin by allowing children to know the appropriate vocabulary and terminology for the genitalia and not use words like cookie and flower and other words that people use. To talk about areas that are private as the parts that are underneath that are covered by a bathing suit. A very important rule, I think, is to teach children that adults never need help in the bathroom, because Since children sometimes need help in the bathroom, they may think that adults do. And the adults who are perpetrators of child sex abuse, you know, do use grooming and seduction and get the child used to it by perhaps doing that. So I think that's a very good rule that's almost never broken. The other issue is when to tell our children, generally speaking, we tell our children when adults are around, you behave, you do whatever they tell you. But we have to give them permission to say no I don't want to do that, or I need to ask my parent, can I do that, if they feel uncomfortable. Giving them permission to say no, especially when it involves those areas underneath the bathing suits. And then the last one is, of course, being very careful about the exposure of sexual material, whether it be through the TVs. Today, since many people have many channels. And computers, making sure that children are not exposed to sexual images, or whatever is considered the appropriate age.
0: When these kids grow up, are they at risk for being abusers themselves? And how can your team or anybody intervene?
1: Okay, I I think, though, it is true that some children who are victims grow up to be perpetrators. That is the rarity. And, And although that's true and we do want to intervene to dismiss that myth, that is not generally true. Most people who grow up and were abused understand that something had happened to them and would never do that to somebody else. The other issue is to recognize that juvenile offenders, early teenage offenders, and child offenders, there's very good programs to stop those children's behaviors. Therapy with adult offenders is less effective if if not outright does not work.
0: So therapy started young enough can be preventative.
1: Right. And, and therapy, remember, may be for short periods of time. A child may have a crisis for a while and not need therapy now, but later on when they go into adolescence or the first time they have a girlfriend or boyfriend, issues come out and they may need therapy over a period of time. The concept that you need to be in therapy for the rest of your life may not be very effective. I always make the joke that Woody Allen has been in psychotherapy his whole life. still seems to be a perfect.
0: What else, what else can be done to help these kids heal? Any programs you started or your team got involved in?
1: I think all across the United States there are movements that are called the Child Advocacy Center movements. These are centers in which children who are purported to be victims can come get their medical and forensic evaluations up front. And I do want to say this to the medical providers. We must remember we have social authority. Seeing a child and saying that they are normal and that you're fine can be very healing and therapeutic for them. But having these one-stop centers provides a place where children then can also be referred for appropriate therapies. And, I, and all over the country, we're beginning to see this in small areas, and large areas, what's called the Children's Advocacy Centers. And in Florida, we use the child protection teams as the core of the Children Advocacy Center movement, but it's the same thing.
0: You know, Dr. Lambert, I feel like I could never have enough time to ask you all of our questions but where can our listeners go for more information?
1: Well, there are many child abuse websites, and I think those are a good websites, but I would um, just direct to uh, the Academy of Pediatrics, AAP.org, the Child Welfare League, I think there's a CWL.org, the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children, APSAC, org. Those are just some places, and if you go to almost any of the websites, they have links. For other specific sites. Also, the National Association of the Child Advocacy Centers, the NCA.
0: Thank you for taking the time to teach us today.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on and being able to talk about what I see as such an important subject.
0: We'd like to thank Dr. Walter Lambert, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing child abuse, treatment, and healing. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233 the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. We want your comments, and thank you for listening.